We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Christ, my substance. Christ, my reality. People run from pillar to post, helter skelter, looking for tangibility. Somebody tells you, ah, two years ago, you were meant to travel. You didn't travel. Ah, and of God is true. But didn't you know? Are you not the one that was supposed to travel and did not travel? Why is he breaking news to you? Ah, it's true. It's true. Do you know a uh, Cecilia and your family? Ah, yeah. And so when you come in and we tell you that all, everything is, is done, you're like, hmm. Give me something. So church starts to introduce what I call quasi-Christian practices. Quasi. Of a different kind. We start to introduce practices that are alien to the gospel. Because we want tangibility. You enter a job interview and because you have a white handkerchief, 50 naira handkerchief, 100 naira, in your pocket, you feel like the God of the person that blessed the came into the room for the job interview on a handkerchief. Your God in his entirety can be contained on a handkerchief. Change God, please. Your entire God is on a handkerchief. Now, to make anointing oil more mobile, we have shrunk it. Now, you don't need to open it anymore. Now, you can just squeeze that thing and just sprinkle it. Quick relief. You know what I mean? You don't need to open it and try and, try and use your thumb and, and wedge the bottle so it doesn't pour too much. Now it comes in small bottles. You can just press it, you know, like syrup. Just press it and then whoop. And then you can administer it anywhere quickly. You can just administer it and we're good to go. And then you sit on your dressing table. There's oil for September, oil for October, oil for December. You've already bought the one for January for crossover night. And then you now start to think, ah, this problem that is hitting me now. Which of this oil, which, which, which meeting was so powerful? I think it was that September 1. And I'm bringing the September oil. I know what I'm talking about. And people might not like this, but we just want tangibility. It's in the interest of your growth, everything you know as tangible will be start to fail. Everything. So for some of you, it's already happening. Where everything that you put your trust in, Everything that was of value to you is crumbling and there's absolutely nothing that you can do about it. If that's you, you're in a, good, you're in a great place. Anytime anybody comes to me and starts to talk and I realize that's what's going on, I always congratulate them. Always. I tell them, oh, is that what's happening? Well, listen, you are in a great place. So enjoy it. Jeremiah 17 and verse 5. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Did you see that? And makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. 6. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see when good comes but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. See verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its root by the river and will not fear when heat comes. 
but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Um, John 6, 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Of course, the words I, I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. I wrote here, the old covenant was of God and is pure, is holy, is righteous. To the degree it is pure, it is holy, it is righteous. To the degree that it activated the flesh. Because that was the role of the law. The role of the law was not to activate your spirit. It, did not have, it does not have what it takes to activate your spirit. But the, the purity of the law, the righteousness of the law, the holiness of the law is perfect to the degree that it caused your flesh to rise up. Because Paul says, I will not have known what was covetousness until the law came to say, thou shalt not covet. But the law, taking occasion, sin, taking occasion of the commandment, Awoken in me all manner of evil desire. That's the, that's the righteousness of the law being fulfilled. Does that make sense? If the law could make you righteous, the law had failed. The law would have become unrighteous. Do you understand? Because the intention of the law is not to make you righteous. If the AC starts to be a microwave, hello, we are not going to congratulate the AC and say, whoa, look, it mutated. It's a hybrid. It can be an AC and it's a microwave. You know, it becomes an unrighteous AC. Because even if it is microwaving, that is not what it was designed for. A microwaving might be profitable to you at that point, but that is not the design of the AC. So the law could not have done anything other than awaken the flesh. So, it is pure to the degree that it activated the flesh. It is righteous to the degree that it, it, it achieved its intended purpose. It is holy to the fact that it awoken in you all manner of evil desire. It is perfect. In scriptures, we realize that everything that was real and tangible was so only to point us towards what is too tangible to be seen with the eyes. Let me give you an example. Ephesians 5. Beautiful example. We miss it in every wedding. Every single wedding. We quote the scripture. We never see what it's about. Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll read from verse 22. Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord. Keep going. For the husband is the head of the wife. Also, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Therefore, go back to 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Keep going. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ Loves the church and gave himself for her that he, Christ, might sanctify and cleanse the church with the washing of water by the word, yes, that he might present the church to himself, a glorious church. And you see that? Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, the church, should be holy and without blemish. See the next line. So also. Husbands ought to love their own wives. How? Present her to yourselves, a bride without spot or blemish, holy and blameless in all things, right? As their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. Can you see why I said the love cycle is complete in God loving you? He who loves his wife loves himself. So when God has loved you in Christ, what has he succeeded in doing? Next verse. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. <laughs> For this reason, because of all that we have said now, 
shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. See verse 32, which is where we're going. All I've described now, a man leaving his father and mother and cleaving to his wife, presenting her to himself and they all become one flesh is a great mystery. It doesn't sound like a mystery. And he says, but I speak concerning so please, what is the entire marriage narrative about? Not husband and wife. So if you read Ephesians 5, 22 down, and you don't show Christ in it, you let the husband and wife astray on their wedding day. Except if they are those who are grounded in the word. That's not the time to preach to couple. Ma- marriage counseling, premarital counseling, discipleship was not enough for you. Every marriage, every wedding is an opportunity for express evangelism. Otherwise, that wedding ceremony failed in its purpose. It was a waste. They'll go and love each other or not. Have children or not. All of those are byproducts of what should have been that isn't. Every marriage ceremony is an opportunity to put Christ on display. So everything that you see in scripture that is real, and this enables, it opens up your understanding of the scripture. I showed you through a few scriptures of narratives. Hagar in in Genesis 16 and Genesis, you know, 21. And then you see uh, uh, um, Balaam as well in Numbers. And you see loads of narratives of of, of stuff that happened. You read through and they are Old Testament stories. And they are really nice stories. Really cool stories. You read David and Goliath and you're like, yeah, man, Goliath, until you understand that Goliath is a replica or a symbol of sin and death. And David triumphing over him was Jesus triumphing over this enemy in death. Spoiled him and made an open show of him, cut off his head. But if you go and read stories, I like, oh, a very nice story. I want to be like David, he killed Goliath. It's so nice, so cool. He used a, a, a catapult and a stone. And he just did like that and then he just threw it and then Goliath just went, oh. So I'm going to name my, my child David. And you're going to name your child Goliath. And we have all these cute stories that by the way, for the most part, were real. But they were not about the people and the things that happened. Numbers 21 and verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And I can preach a whole message from there because it doesn't say the souls of the people. It says the soul of the people. The people had one soul. Became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, for there is no food and no water, and our soul loaves this worthless bread. They were tired of manna. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they beat the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Serpents that were sent into the people there, Represent works of the flesh that come from Satan the serpent who introduced sin in the Garden of Eden. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin. It took dealing with sin to remove sin. It took admitting sin to be rid of sin. He sent serpents among them and he said, put a bronze one on a pole, lift it up, let everybody see. That's, and if they see it, admit what they see, they will live. 
Did this incident happen in real life? I said earlier on that everything that happened in scripture, recorded in scripture that is tangible, is showing us a much more real narrative that is beyond the tangible. Remember? Okay. What we cannot see with the natural eyes, and so we need to refer to happenstances to see. Now, Jesus is speaking, John chapter 3. Let me go from verse 14 straight up for time's sake. Jesus says, no one, 13, I beg your pardon. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. Keep going. That whoever believes in him should not perish but shall have eternal life for God so loved the world. Uh, is it coming together for somebody now? Even as Moses lifted up the serpent, you'd be like, what, what, how does it make any sense for serpents to be biting people? And then you, you don't tell us to put the antidote or something that is to kill a serpent or absorb a serpent. You ask us to put the same serpent in brazen form and everybody should look to it and live. As Moses lifted up the serpent, so also the son of man must be lifted up so that whoever believes on him shall not perish but have eternal life. John chapter 12, verse 32, and this will excite someone and you will repent for singing a song that you have sung for many years. And if and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. King James. Good old King James. And if and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw. The lifting him up there was not in the context of praise and worship. Yeah. It's also we're talking about you lifting him up. Like those days, football was not so deep. It was just so much fun. In the 90s, oh, late 90s, Nigeria's golden days. My God. You didn't need to know anything about football. Which club would you just need? All of us would just enjoy it. I remember when Nigeria won Atlanta 96. Oh my God. And then Tunisia 96. Cup of Nations at the same time. And then went and won World Cup. Jesus Christ. He. Peter. Peter Rufa. He. Jesus. Nigeria was like top three football nation in the world. Nigeria. Nigeria had the finest set of collective football players. In the universe. Only the likes of Maradona and Pele. Were measuring up. Those were beautiful days. And then they score a goal. And as they are running around the pitch. They will take off their jersey. And, run, and you feel like running with them. Around the place. You are running in your house. Carrying everybody that can be carried. And then as soon as the final whistle is blown. They lift up the star. We all knew who was going to get golden boots. We didn't need a prophet. We didn't need to bet. We just knew who man of the match. We would just tell you that's man of the match. This is beautiful days. I miss those days. And you carry the, the star of the match around. And you are dancing with him. And that's the picture we brought into Christianity. About lifting up Jesus. That's the picture. Lift him. Like Jesus is not high enough. If you lift him, if, if you lift him high and if you make enough noise about him, he will draw all men. That's not what the scripture says. He was not telling you to lift him. He said, I will be lifted up. And the moment I am lifted up, I will draw all men. Oh, in worship, can you lift up the name of Jesus? Absolutely. But not for him to draw men. He doesn't draw men by praise and worship. He draws men by the cross. And take that from a worship leader. You know, you cannot accuse me and say, it's because you don't know worship. It doesn't draw men by praise and worship. It draws them by the lifting up of the sun. So you see in Numbers 21, a real serpent was killed and put up. But then it takes later on to find out that it wasn't about Moses and the serpents after all. And there are so many such narratives. We'll look at a few more as we proceed. Let's look at a few scriptures. Is this helping anybody? Christ, my substance. Christ, my reality. Second Corinthians chapter 4. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, 
while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Can you see that? For the things which are seen are what? But the things which are not seen. So if you are seeing something, it is temporal. What you are seeing, what you are touching, what you are tasting, what you are handling, what you are running after, is, it is actually that thing that you can touch that is the mirage. Your feelings are lying to you. Your sight is lying to you. Your bank account is lying to you. For some of you, you must repent for listening to the music that your bank account is playing. Every day, you just walk around with headphones in your head and all you are monitoring is your bank alert, bank balance. How much is coming in? Has it come in? It has not come in. It has. God has a way of keeping your bank account balance stagnant and meeting your needs. Yes. He has. I'm a witness. Yes. And my needs are being met. So God needs to pass through your bank to meet your needs. Where was your bank when he died and supplied your needs? Where was your bank? Where was money, sir? Where was currency? When the price was paid? When he became poverty and brought you into riches? I am no orphan. I'm not a poor man. The kingdoms now become my own. With the king I have a home. It's my reality. The things that are seen are temporal. You look, ah, look at this thing. Look at this, look at this scratch. Look at this sore. Look at this growth. Look at this fibroid. Look at this pain. Stop being deceived by your reality. It is false. Is anybody hearing me? I said it is false. Ah, I can feel the pain. I can feel the pain. It is false. But you keep going because that pain is a lie. So in your sonship, in your walk with God, if you slow down or shut down because of your natural reality, you have a lot of growing up to do. And God in his love, God in his love will ensure eh, that things begin to pile up. <laughs> you wait and see. Things will begin to pile up to get you to change your perception. Because he will not deal with you according to the natural. He has never done so. He's never done so. The things that were seen, the things that were written, that, that happened, happened to show us a bigger reality. That's all. That's all. Do you understand? Why was Samson born? Why was Samson's father told his mother should not touch any alcohol? Why was... That's the only other person whose name was given before he was born. And he was promised that he would be a deliverer of his people. I, I, I will teach this thing someday. But go and read it in the book of Judges. He said, you will have a son. His name will be Samson. And he shall begin to deliver Israel. Shall begin. So not a razor should touch his head. For he is consecrated unto the Lord. Don't drink any wine. Look after this kid. And Samson comes as deliverer. A type of Christ. So when you're coming to say, but what, what is the precedent? You're like, well, okay, a virgin has not quite conceived and given birth before, but somebody was born who was a type. Look at Samson. So Hebrews 11 can now say, by faith, Samson. Not by his act of faith, but by his existence through faith. In other words, it was faith that birthed Samson. It wasn't that Samson did something to now have faith reckoned to him. But that his very appearance in itself was the manifestation of faith. Not everything in the Bible is yours to copy, sir. You're not going to go and find the Delilah. Because Samson found the Delilah. Oh, now Samson is a type of Christ. So whatever Samson did, I can do. No, that's not the point of scripture. But that you get to see what, what Samson did points you to. In spite of his weaknesses, he was just a type. He was not Christ. He began to deliver his people. He didn't deliver them. For he shall save his people from their sins. That's the end. So Samson's weaknesses, not my problem. Are you following what I'm saying? 
Not my problem. But Samson did enough of Christ. Yeah. Can I tell you one more? When it was time for Samson to marry, in a time, Nelson, where you don't go and marry outside Israel, Samson said, me, I must marry a Gentile. I must marry a Gentile. If he's not a Gentile, I am not marrying. And he took upon himself a Gentile and reconciled her to himself. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? So when you read the narrative, slow down. You don't know the Bible until you know him. Slow down. Slow down. Take it easy. The journey is long. He splattered across the pages of the word. It's everywhere in plain sight. He insisted, I'm not going to. I am not going to. I am not going. He did. He was the deliverer. He was judge of Israel. And then after a point, the people that he was delivering went and ganged up with the Philistine leaders and said, you know what? Leave us, we, yourself. We, we will carry him and deliver to you. He said, no, don't worry. We, we will bring him to you. What did they do to Jesus? And Samson still got up and took away the gates of the city. Killed Philistines with the jawbone of an ass, an unlikely tool. What did Jesus do? Before you say something was a very useless boy. See that something was a Jesus boy. Everything that is tangible is to show you a greater reality that otherwise you might have struggled with. That's why I said those days I used to say as a worship leader and I thought I was a madman. I said if you enjoy love making more than you enjoy worshiping God, you are a fraud. You enjoy sex. You get orgasms. You get sexual fulfillment. And you cannot worship God. You have just abused what he created for what he created it for. Because there's orgasms that cannot be described. When you enter divinity and connect with who you are in God. There's no sexual high like that. None. 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 And that's why real worshippers are the most potent lovers. You abuse it. If you understand worship, you understand intimacy. If you understand intimacy, you understand worship. So these natural things are implanted so that as you enjoy it, it triggers an understanding of what God intends to have with you. So how can you enjoy sex and can't enjoy fellowship? Koinonia with God, which is what intercourse is about. And when you understand that, you can't even sleep with anybody anyhow anymore. You just change your perspective of sex. Like, nah, I can't, I can't just. Because there's depth to this thing. There's purity to it. There's divinity to it. God is not embarrassed when two people in a committed relationship are having a sexual encounter. He's delighted to the measure that it gets them to be conscious of him. It's only a type and a shadow. So when you enjoy it, enjoy it in remembrance of him. Otherwise, leave it alone. You just abused it. You just fornicated with your wife. I told you in this house a while ago. I said I would teach about it someday. Now, pornea is not just extramarital or single. Uh -uh. It's abuse of, of purpose. Things that are tangible are given to show us. Even food, eating food, food, food and drink are types and shadows of Christ. He told her, he said, you're drinking water now. You will still come back and drink again. But the water I will give you. So from the very beginning when he designed man to start drinking natural water. His intention was that every time you drink natural water, you are exegeting the reality of Christ who is the water of life. That's why Paul says in your eating and your drinking, do this to the glory. Yay, there's nothing random about your existence. There's nothing. God is too deliberate to not have thought out everything and make sure that at the core of it, it points to Christ. I put on WhatsApp just before I came upstairs. I said, sin is not the message. Christ is the message. There is, he's not a message. He is the message. Everything from start to finish, Christ.
thing. You are afraid of reading Revelation. You're like, yeah. What kind of book is this dragon, seven plagues, seven rods of God, uh, beast, the ground opening? Hey, hey, what kind of book is this? So you read, 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 when you get to Revelation, you skip. Just that when you skip, there's nothing remaining. You just don't go there at all. Revelation chapter 1 verse 1, look at how it starts. The revelation... Which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. What is the entire scary book about? So it is only scary to the measure that you successfully did not see Jesus. To the measure that you successfully entered Revelation and finished reading and did not see him in the midst of the golden lampstands. Did not, ah, yakapa. You didn't see him in the lamb. You didn't see him in, in, in the perfections. You didn't see him in all of that. You didn't see him in the ceiling of the saints. That's why you're afraid. That's why you don't have security. That's why you doubt your salvation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It is him. It's all him. For the things that are seen are temporal. The things that are not seen are eternal. That's why this, faith, this walk is a faith walk. The things that are seen, things you are standing on now. You come in. How many of you came in? Please, my darling, when you came in, did you check the chair before you sat down? You just sat. Is anybody here that checked the chair when they came in? Why? Because you saw a chair. And you just believe that by natural law, the chair should carry your weight. And you just know that there's something about this word abiding house people. They will not put a chair that is not worthy to carry the weight of someone. So you just come in and just sit into the chair. Now you sit into the chair that is tangible. It can carry your weight. And, and scripture says that chair carrying your weight is a lie. That chair carrying your weight is not real. It's temporal. So until... The chair carrying your weight is teaching you about he that carries the weight of the world. And you are able to let him. And whenever he says sit, you just sit on him. Whenever he says go, you just go with him. Whenever he says give, you just give with him. Whenever he says stand, you stand with him. Until then, you're sitting on every chair without checking it is a scam. You're not walking by faith. Every time you walk into a room and just sit down, you have trusted in a natural thing more than the real thing. Every time you have walked into the building and just sat and, and just walked, every time you stopped a cab and you didn't think about it, you entered and you just thought the cab would drop you in Main Avenue. And you came out of the cab and you paid your 15 naira and you got your change. And it does not teach you that wherever he leads, you follow without asking questions, even if the car does not look like it can get you to where you're going. Until then, you're not yet dealing with Christ as your substance. You're not. We are too caught up in tangibility. We are too caught up in things we can see. Jesus told them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, John 4, and to finish his work. Jesus championed spiritual food, the will of the Father, more than natural food. And because of that, that fed him even naturally. Do you understand what I'm saying? Even naturally now, he was full. Because he had the real food. Man shall not live, he says, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In the context of that, sir, what is the word of God? Food. Bread. So if you have the word of God, you are full. So bread is now the mirage. Bread is the mirage. Money is the mirage. A place to lay your head is a mirage. And heaven will not wait for those things. He's waiting for you to go past them. So in other words, everything that life is giving you tangibility in is to show you the tangibility of what is otherwise intangible. Is anybody hearing me? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. 
But if you're here and we blindfolded you now and say, go downstairs alone by yourself, you will struggle. Why? We have taken away your sight. And then he says to you, I know the thoughts I have concerning you. That means you don't know. I know to give you an expected end and a future that you desire. He says, I know. And I will bring you to the end you desire. I know your desire. I know your end. So I will bring you to it. And you are still asking him, how shall these things be? He says, I know. You don't know. I know. You're going through something now. I know. You're in between jobs. I know. You're volunteering without pay. I know. You're going through a relationship now and it doesn't seem like it's adding up. I know. And you don't want to trust me. And you come and you say, carry me. And you trust that we will not drop you. Eh? You just trust that we will not drop you. Because we have sense, you know. We have, we have responsibility. And God says, I got you. And you're struggling. You're trying to teach God how to guard you. No, God, you can't carry me like this now. Carry me how Puff carries me. God, carry me how James carries me. God, you know, how about if you, what if you drop me? Oh, I don't have a plan B. No, you, you just believe that the person that's carrying you is carrying you. And God is saying that I got you. I always cause you to walk in triumph. Always. Always. I got you. And then because the bill is lingering, the money is not coming, you now start to change your understanding of what God said because of your sight. Is he your substance? You start to doubt. Oh, no, man, this is taking long. If it's you, why is this happening? If it's you, why am I suffering? Because it is him. Because you have not recognized that it is him. And until you do, strap up. And enjoy the ride. For we walk by faith. Not by sight. Romans 8.24 For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen. is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? NLT. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. Hope that is seen. is not hope. It was said of Abraham that Abraham against hope hoped. He hoped to the point where even hope was afraid of his hoping. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you hear what I just said? He hoped against hope. He hoped so much that hope itself became worried. My brother, the way you are appropriating me like this. Hey, I hope I don't disappoint you. <laughs> because even me, hope. <laughs> I'm not sure again. You are 100 years old. And the Bible says that his body was dead, as was Sarah's. Even hope had cause to worry. Two dead people, 190 respectively. And it says he, against hope, Romans 4, against hope, Abraham hoped. To the point where hope was questioning his reason for hoping. You are still hoping. Against hope, he hoped. And it was counted to him for righteousness. He did not consider the deadness of his body. Scripture says, and the son came. Because the son was not a son of performance. He was a son of promise. Of course, a type and shadow of Christ. Who did not come by the help of Mary and Joseph. He didn't come by their help. So you can't say Isaac came because Abraham was fertile. No, no. He was dead. You, you, are you hearing what I'm saying? You, you, can't, you can't say that Isaac came because, you know, they were in their nice period. No, 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 no. Just as you can't say that it was Mary and Joseph that had a part to play in Jesus coming. So what God did was to block every natural tendency by which Abraham and Sarah can claim credit for the birthing of Isaac. And that's the same thing he did with Mary and Joseph. Because if Joseph had slept with Mary once, there would have been the question of maybe just perhaps... It could have been. But that's why Jesus had the boldness to answer her. Why are you looking for me? I've been about my father's business. Jesus knew who his father was. And he knew he was not Joseph. 12 years old. 12 years old boy. Where have you been? I've been about my father's business. Joseph kept quiet. Mary kept these things in her heart. What can Joseph say? Joseph, have you seen anywhere in scripture where Joseph had a say in Jesus' life? He respected himself. He, knew he was not even stepfather to Jesus. Because Jesus came before the guy successfully married the woman against hope. So for the believer, it is a journey away from natural sight and natural tangibility into spiritual sight and supernatural tangibility. 
The entire journey, the sanctification process of a believer is a journey away from the natural and into the supernatural. That was our sanctification journey. Is anybody hearing? When you walk away from stuff, we have always seen our budget above him. We've always seen our bills, our calculation, our salary. Who told you your salary that is sustaining you? Have you sat down and done the math? Have you sat down your transport, your data, your airtime, your offering, your feeding, the, all the issues that are surrounding you, and then all the people that think that if you tell them you don't have, you are lying and you're a witch, including family members that never believe that you could be going through a problem because it's not showing on your face. If you are broke, we should have 19 pimples on your face. Squeeze the face like bread of four days ago. Then we can believe you wearing tattered clothes. Then we know that, ah, okay, man, truly, 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 it's not going well for you. And you think all of that is going on on your salary? No, the things that are seen, temporal, things that are not seen, eternal. Any believer whose faith is founded or enforced on the tangible is carnal. Any believer whose faith is founded or enforced on the tangible is carnal. If you're waiting to see something before you start something, you are carnal. You start something, then you see something. That's the way it works. Faith is, faith is an active word. Do you understand? Faith is not an intellectual term. It's an active word. If you are basing your work with God on what is tangible, you are carnal. We order for something. If it's God's will, he's his bill. He will pay. He will pay. We're walking away from what is tangible. Let me start to bring this home. Every tangible substance in the Old Testament was nothing but a shadow. I've said that, right? We showed you Colossians chapter 2, 16 to 17. They were all pointers to Christ. Let's bring this home. Every meal, every ritual, every ordinance, every practice was to carnal people. They were never given to sons of God. Do you realize that? Do you see any people on the other side of the cross being given a festival to keep? So any festival that survives today is a false carryover of the dispensation before the cross. Because we on this side, we're not giving any such to keep. So we must be careful about people who try unnecessarily to deepen our Christian walk with the existence or continuance even in symbolic form of festivals must be very careful festival of unleavened bread feast of tabernacles feast of passover the yom kippur you know and all them feasts and sometimes somebody can come and preach to you and tell them those things are still in force till today i thought they were part of the law i i, I thought that ordinance was nailed to the cross and taken away so when scripture says forever, aeon at aeon, it means until it has run its natural course. Do you understand what I'm saying? Until it has run its natural course. So even your salvation that is supposed to be forever, is forever to the basis that the work is finished, but the work is ongoing. You are saved. Hmm? Fully. Completely. Finishedly. But you're not finished saving. So if God now leave you, who's supposed to finish your salvation? You are saved though. You are fully saved. But you are not fully saved. He saved you completely. But he's still saving you. And he still has to finish saving you. For him to even stop and leave you to be the one to now maintain your salvation. He has to first have finished saving you. And he has not finished. He said he who has begun this good work is able to complete it. It doesn't stop there. Complete it unto the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So salvation is not just out of, it is unto. Your salvation out of is complete. Your salvation unto is ongoing. So he cannot even leave you yet. He can't leave you. He put you in kindergarten and leave you and go home. So forever means until it has run its course. And until the day of the Lord that we are going to walk into. Meals, eh? Rituals, ordinances and practices was given to carnal people, not to believers. Because they needed natural tangible stuff to remind them. Does that make sense? So when Paul now says, Christ, our Passover, eh, okay, that's what that thing meant. Are you following me? Did they kill lambs in real life? Yes. Did they sprinkle the blood on their doorpost? Yes. Did the angel of death pass over? Yes. Are we supposed to do the same now? No. Because that was a type and shadow 
of Christ, our Passover lamb, who had to be whole at the time he was offered, who didn't have a blemish, couldn't have a bone broken, had to be spotless and without blemish and without wrinkle. Christ, our Passover. Now that he is here and the Passover feast is fulfilled forever, as far as the Passover feast is concerned, is complete. Forever doesn't mean always an eternal never end. Amen. It means that the eon, the dispensation of that thing is complete. So when he says, thou shalt observe this forever. You know, sometimes we struggle with it. Now, but God said that this Sabbath, you shall keep it forever. Yeah, but that means that it's enforced now. No, but he's Lord of the Sabbath. And the moment he fulfilled the Sabbath, forever became complete in him who is forever. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today. So who is forever? Christ. Forever is fulfilled in him. So when he says, this feast, you shall keep it forever. And Jesus came and fulfilled it. You know, God is always looking at that feast to see if the feast is being fulfilled forever. But because Christ fulfilled it, God sees the feast as perpetually fulfilled in Christ. So you don't have to keep it. So even if God's word does not fall to the ground and God says, you must keep this feast forever. The moment one man came, Romans 5, and collapsed all the law and fulfilled all, all the law. Every feast Christ fulfilled. Every ritual Christ fulfilled. Every requirement Christ fulfilled. Every ordinance Christ fulfilled. Every legal thing that is expected of us Christ fulfilled. So God looks at you, sees Christ and sees everything he expected as fulfilled. Forever is fulfilled. You then come and resurrect a feast that has been fulfilled in Christ. And say, you, you want to keep it. You now start to introduce a righteousness apart from faith. Which is not righteousness. Passover fulfilled in Christ. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Therefore, purge out the old living. That you may be a new lump. Since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover. He's not just the Passover lamb. He's not just the reason for the Passover. So everything about the institution of Passover was about who? So when you are keeping a feast, when the person the feast pointed to has come and said, I am the feast. What are you doing? I am the feast. That's why the Jews are struggling with our new creation realities. Because they don't see them as fulfilled in Christ. Christ is our Passover. I don't need to sprinkle no more blood. I don't need to plead no more blood. I don't need to drink no more blood. When we broke bread the other day in the house, I told people that some people can be funny. I said there is no spiritual virtue from Holy Communion. Ah, they ain't going to like me for this one. But truth is on the loose. You can't cage it down no more. There is no spiritual virtue in Holy Communion. None. For there to be spiritual virtue in Holy Communion is for it to make a fallacy of the work of Christ. For, for us to be drawing virtue from this tangibility means that Christ did not yet come. So therefore, we have to hold on to this thing until he will eventually come and be our reality and save us. But since we don't have him yet, let's be eating this thing. Because on the day that we eat not, we shall die. But we have the reality. And Paul says, now that the substance is here, hey, types and shadows are gone. Every time we are eating now, we are remembering what Christ did. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's all. We are eating it in remembrance of him. I know and I subscribe to the fact and we have seen it before that as we enter remembrance not as we eat bread and wine as we enter remembrance as we come into the acknowledgement of what Christ did hey, it triggers supernatural manifestations it was not the holy communion that triggered it it is the epignosis the recognition are you following me the knowledge of, this is what this thing reminds me of so the moment you come into the recognition of it that thing that you entered remembrance of triggers. So you don't get healing by the communion. You get healing by the Passover that you might remember 
if and when you choose to take the communion. It doesn't mean that without taking communion, you will not be healed. That devil is a liar. The, the healing is not hinged in the communion. Prosperity is not hinged in the communion. Protection is not hinged in the communion. It is hinged on the one who died for your sin. If you got healed, it's the cross. It's Christ, not some communion. If you got healed, even when you poured oil on yourself, there is nothing in that oil. Nothing. Oh, okay, but it worked for me. No, no, no. He worked for you in spite of your stupidity. In his mercy, in his love, in his commitment. Second Timothy, what does it say? He said, even when we are faithless, he is faithful. He does it for his name's sake. Even if you were foolish about how you applied it. That's a very lame excuse. It's working for me. No, he is working for you. Because he paid for you. Shut your mouth. He paid for you. Whether you like it or not. Whether you act like it or not. He's preserving you. For his name's sake. Drop yourself in a drum of oil. Soak yourself in it. Carry 20 liters and pour. He does nothing. There is no power in types and shadows. No power. No power. Ah, types and shadows are gone. Oh yeah, yeah, water, water. Let's take water. Let's sprinkle. What is it? The water I will give you. You will drink the water to the point where out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then you now need me to carry water and sprinkle on you when, out, when you are a water plant yourself. You are a water generating factory yourself. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And you now need me to give you one small bottle of water and say, I've blessed this water. You bless it with what? You bless it with what? I am a water generating plant. I generate water. Out of my belly flows not dead water that, that makes you thirst again, but living water. Because Christ is my substance. He's more real to me than this thing in my hand. The moment you know that devils and religious bigots stop messing with you. It's your reality. It's your substance. Why are we caged in stuff? Why are we caged? You need this. Hey, there were people who were believing, I think it's Acts 17. They were believing and they don't have the Holy Spirit. And those kind of people at their level of faith can exercise mantles and handkerchiefs and aprons. But there is no believer now. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are not a believer. If you got born again, we now need to take you through a class in church for you to now get Holy Ghost baptism. I announce to you, you are either not born again until the day of your so-called Holy Ghost baptism. But it's most likely my brother and sister, that you have been born again and filled with the Holy Ghost you didn't know. Because contrary to popular theological opinion, there is no time space between being born again and being filled. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is the regeneration of the believer. Period. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is the regen. It's what brings life. You don't have a dead spirit. You were dead. Then spirit entered you. And that spirit is the spirit of God. The spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead. That's what it is. And now scripture says that you, you, hey, first John 2, 24. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard. Keep going very quickly from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also abide in the son and the father. Keep going. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. Oof. These things are right to you concerning those who try to deceive you. 27. But the anointing which you have received from him and you do not need. But as the same anointing. And that anointing is true. That anointing is not a lie. And that anointing just as it has taught you will abide in him. The anointing is a person. It's not a bottle. It's not a water. It's not a laying on of hands. Nothing. All those are types and shadows. Holy communion fulfilled in Christ, who is our Passover. John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 
He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me. Can you see bread and wine complete? He who comes to me can hunger. He who believes cannot thirst. So our communion, who? Christ. Water, Christ. Isaiah 55 and verse 1. Isaiah 55 and verse 1. Oh! Oh! How? It's there. It's not how. How? Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy it. You see that the grace of God has never been hinged on money. You can't sow your way into the grace. You can't give your way into the anointing. You can't deposit something to activate something. You come buy wine and milk without money and without price. No need to sow no seed. No need to plant nothing. No first fruit offering. No sanctification offering. No beginning of the year, end of the year seed. Am I telling you to not give? That's not what I'm saying. But there's nothing that Christ has done that is hinged on something you pay. Nothing. That's Old Testament. Isaiah prophesying. Put it back up. 55 from verse 1. Isaiah was not saying this like, Oh, everyone who thirsts. How? Everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And you who have no money. Come buy and eat. Because the gospel is not for sale. Gospel is not for sale. You can buy it. Come buy wine. Him. Milk. Without money. And without price. John 4, 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. You will drink water that now makes you a fountain. Generating water that springs up to eternal life. That's water. That water is the Holy Spirit, right? It shall sanctify you with the washing of the water, Holy Spirit, by the word, Christ. Do you understand? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. For by one spirit, you see that, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. Who is the water? By his. Holy Spirit is the water. And we didn't drink, we drank into do you understand? So it's not, I'm drinking this now. I'm taking this into me. When you drink the Holy Spirit, you drink yourself into him. Do you understand? That's, that's the word for baptism. That's why baptism itself is a type and shadow. It is not a substance. Because you are drinking, it is a sign of drinking into Christ. Not drinking Christ into you, as it were, like I would drink water into me. We drank into the one spirit. As signified by baptism. John made it clear. He said, me, I baptize with water. One is coming. One is coming. Who will not baptize with water? But will baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. When Paul began to understand the fullness of it, he now quickly said, thank God though. Me, I didn't baptize anybody. Oh. Only Gaius. Oh. <laughs> Only Gaius. Nobody can come and say, you baptize us. If you feel like taking a dip in the water, knock yourself out. Just go there. Just dive inside. As you dive inside, come out and say, eh. So this is how I just drank into Christ. No, just do it. Go to the marina, go to the bayside, go to the transport pool, wherever. If pour water in your bathtub, eh? Just, just lie down, just go inside. It's okay. But it does nothing for your salvation. You have not been baptized in water, you are not missing anything. 
Because it's a type and shadow. You have drank into, you drank into spirits and it's water. If now being baptized in water now affects my salvation, then there's an element of works in it now. Romans chapter 11 and verse 6. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works or else grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, then it is no longer grace. Otherwise work is no longer work. So choose what it is. Hair covering. Cover your hair, don't cover your hair. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. Type and shadow. The substance is Christ. 1 Corinthians 11. Quickly. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is man. And in that context, her man. And the head of Christ is God. This is what the entirety of the first half of 1 Corinthians 11 is about. It's not about instituting coverings of hair. It's not. First of all, you're not in the Corinthian culture. You're not in the culture, first of all. You're not the Corinthian church. Yes, there are other things that Paul wrote to them that apply to us. But then he was also dealing with individual issues surrounding that particular church. It was this same church that he told their pastor then, Timothy. The women in the Corinthian church are crazy. So let them not speak. Let them learn in quiet submissions. If they have any questions, let them ask their husbands at home. That was not an instruction for the entire church for all ages. So head coverings is about the headship of Christ who is the covering of the church. Who is the glory of the church. Cover your hair all you want. If you don't see that Christ is your covering, your head is shaved. Cover your body head to toe. Let us only see your eyes and your toes. If you don't see that Christ is your righteousness, the robe you are wearing is the robe of righteousness, your top to bottom covering, you are naked. Don't get trapped in types and shadows. Cover your hair all you want. Cover it. Be all pious. Christ is our better. Let me end here. Everything that existed in scripture, Christ came and made it better. Everything. He left nothing untouched. He left nothing the way it was. Because the priesthood changed, the entire law has to change. Let me show you this. One day we'll go through Hebrews, but let me end with this. Hebrews 1.4. Having become so much, shout that word. Having become so much. Than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Hebrews 7.22. Hebrews 7.22. But by so more, Jesus has become a surety of a... Better, 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 better. Hebrews 8, 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a covenant which is established on Christ is our better. Hebrews 9, 23. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with Hebrews 12 and 24. Hebrews 12, 24. To Jesus, the mediator of the covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks. He's the substance. He's our progenitor of better. He's the fulfillment, therefore, of the old covenant. We no longer rely on types and shadows. He's the sole language of the Father. God in times past in various ways, spoken to us in time past through our, our fathers, the prophets, has now, Hebrews 1, to spoken to us through the Son who is the brightness of his image and the express image of his person. That is what we have been called into. We are back in the place where the early New Testament church was. The early New Testament church struggled with new covenant realities. They did. They did. It took a while. For them to settle into it. So we must understand the timeline of their progressive revelation. And we must not be bound by it. Now we're in a better place than they. Because if revelation is fully unveiled. So now that we understand Christ as our reality. Christ as our substance. We cannot be trapped in shadows anymore. I am free from shadows. I am free from types. I am free from symbols. I'm free from examples because all of them led to Christ and Christ in me and the hope of glory 
now that I have the substance, I don't need the types. And I don't need the shadows. Somebody shout, ho! Come on, give him praise. Christ is my substance. He's realer than the skin I can feel. He's realer than the chair. He's realer than the ground I'm walking on. He's more real than the food that I eat. He's more real than the water that I drink. He's more real than the air that I breathe. He's so real. Anything trying to be realer than Christ is false. All these things are pointers to the reality of Christ. If this can be real, how much more him? If I can look at this and go, this wood came from a tree. How much more me that came from incorruptible seed? Everything real, everything physically tangible should remind me how real and tangible I am in him. Everything, everything, everything real. Everything I can taste, everything I can touch, everything I can sense is reminding me that no, beyond this realness is a stronger realness. Beyond this tangibleness is a stronger tangibility that even though appears intangible is the real tangibleness that governs this. You come into liberty and freedom. Come on, thank him tonight. Just thank him. Just pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. And we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the Or visit our social media platforms.